We'll hear argument first this morning, number 93-518, Florence Dolan versus the City of Tigard. Mr. Smith. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. The question before this Court is whether government may demand the dedication of real property as a condition of development approval without showing that there is a reasonably proportional relationship between the dedication and the actual adverse impacts of the development. In the case that we have today, the City of Tigard demanded that Mrs. Dolan dedicate to it 10% of her real property, and the City did that without showing uh, any proportional relationship whatsoever. We submit that the failure of the City uh, in requiring that dedication to show the proportional relationship violates the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments because it uh, takes private property from her uh, for public use without payment of just compensation. Mr. Smith, are you going to uh, comment on the question whether the city would have been within its rights to uh, deny the the, uh, building permit entirely? Yes, Your Honor, and we would agree that uh, the city would have been within its authority uh, to deny the permit outright. However, uh, that, uh, that of course, might raise uh, a... uh, a different takings question uh, that's outside the realm of dedications and municipal exactions. Uh, and uh, not only that, that... Uh, no, Your Honor, we are you not. take the case on the assumption that the city could have denied it. Uh, yes, Your Honor, that is correct. And uh, one of the problems that we have is if, uh, the, if all that is required in a threshold inquiry uh, for uh, a dedication uh, to meet constitutional muster is that the, uh, the uh, government could have uh, denied the permit outright and never reach the question of whether there is the essential nexus or the requisite proportionality, uh, then uh, there is n- really no textual meaning that I believe is given to this Court's opinion in Nolan, and there is no fulfillment of uh, the, uh, the mandate in Armstrong versus the United States that uh, individuals should not be singled out to bear public burdens uh, that, uh, in all fairness and justice, should be borne by the public as a whole. That the city really demanded uh, Mrs. Dolan's land because it wanted it for free to fulfill its long-standing plans for, park, uh, for a park and for a pedestrian and bicycle pathway. And it did that without any regard to the actual impacts uh, of her new store. The city's so-called findings in this case were made up after the fact and were mere speculation and conjecture. And the city well, dem- so, so far as the finding about the floodplain is concerned, uh, there was a finding that if you pave over with asphalt things that have been previously green or growing in some way, you're going to have a more rapid runoff. Uh, now, that, that doesn't seem very speculative to me. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, uh, there is indeed uh, common sense to tell us that uh, if one increases the amount of a per- impervious surface uh, on a piece of property, that there will indeed be more runoff. Uh, we would certainly agree with that. However, the problem is, and I think this was well pointed out by uh, Justice Peterson of the Oregon Supreme Court in his dissenting opinion below, that there was never a quantification uh, of exactly how much water w- would run off. And as Justice Peterson characterized it in his dissent, how much? A thimbleful? Uh, in the absence of any quantification of the amount of water that would actually run off of the site, and comparing that to the overall amount of water that uh, uh, could run off from other structures throughout the city that increased impervious surface, uh, there's really no way for the, the city to come up with a fair apportionment of the, of the uh, costs that should be imposed on Mrs. Dolan. So you say it, the city has to, has to quantify something like that, do some sort of empirical studies that would show the portion for which this increase in her usage, uh, her increased pavement is responsible. 
Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. In fact, I believe that the city itself recognized that that was the, the way to go. Uh, that uh, in the record that's before this court, uh, at uh, docket number uh, F at pages 810 and, uh, and 811, uh, it shows that the city, in the, the detailed study it did of stormwater runoff, that its consultant commended to the city and urged the city to do a calculation on the total amount of impervious surface that would occur within the city at build-out, and as the people proposed development, they should calculate the specific development's contributions to that impervious surface and to use that relative fraction to apportion costs. Is there any reason to believe that uh, uh, creating impervious surface closer to the floodplain uh, causes uh, uh, more of a problem than creating impervious surface further away from the pl floodplain? No, Justice Scalia, there is not. Uh, yet people who did that further away would not have to dedicate any of their land to the public use. That is correct, Your Honor. That, uh, in fact, uh, there are a number of properties uh, that are not located on Fano Creek itself uh, in the city of Tigard uh, that, in fact, may generate more stormwater runoff than Mrs. Dolan's proposed new store. But, in isn't fact, there, isn't there some sort of attenuation? I mean, if you're three miles from Fano Creek and pave over 2,000 square feet, surely it's a lesser immediate effect on the creek than if you are right along the creek and pave over 2,000 square feet. Yes, Your Honor, we would agree with that. Assume that the additional runoff would require that some vegetation remain alongside of the creek. Is it your position that the demands of the city are nevertheless excessive? Yes, Your Honor, it is. And the reason is, is that the city has already established uh, regulatory restrictions on what can go on inside that 100-year floodplain. And uh, the Dolans are already prohibited from uh, engaging in developmental uses of that 100-year floodplain. Uh, and considering the ge geography in question, it's highly unlikely that, uh, that anything could go on either. It's a very, very steep bank. Uh, so the fact of the matter remains is there is no development that's going to go on within the 100-year floodplain. It couldn't go on within the 100-year floodplain. When we hear about the Greenway, is that simply part of the bike path, or is that also part of the floodplain? Your Honor, that is part of the, uh, the, the uh, floodplain. Uh, what the city required was the dedication of all land within the 100-year floodplain for a Greenway to fulfill its plan to link up uh, a network of parks both upstream and downstream. In addition, they required the dedication of a 15-foot-wide strip immediately adjacent and east of the boundary of the floodplain for a construction of a pedestrian and bicycle pathway, uh, which incidentally would increase the impervious surface in and of itself, uh, and also for the, the site of a, uh, the construction of a future storm drain uh, that uh, the city contemplated uh, establishing in the future. Well, would it be your position that if vegetation must be there, assuming there's some additional runoff and there's a relation between that, that you're entitled to keep vegetation that's other than what would be in the Greenway? I mean, is this an excessive demand so far as the city's concerned? You are as, as grass? I don't believe that the regulatory impositions that were imposed on Mrs. Dolan for maintaining open space and vegetated area on her property uh, were unreasonable, and we, in fact, did not challenge those below and do not do so uh, before this court today. Well, what, what, what could she do then that she cannot do now? Your Honor, what uh, has occurred now is that uh, she may not... Uh, 
construct her larger store uh, and demolish her old store until no, such... No, my question was imprecise. I'm sorry. On the, on the, uh, the, the, the Greenway area, the, the floodplain, uh, which is subject to the easement, she couldn't develop it before. What is it that she wanted to do that she cannot do now? Your Honor, there are a number of non-developmental uses to which she could have put the land in the Greenway, which might have added uh, value and amenity to, uh, to her uh, larger store. She could have, for example, uh, put in landscaping within the Greenway uh, that would have made her site more attractive without violating the restrictions that the city had already uh, placed upon her regarding development of that land. Doesn't the, the, uh, fill me in, doesn't the public have access to the Greenway? I thought the purpose of the Greenway was for a park. That's not so. Uh, Your Honor, the public does not have access to the land, to Mrs. Dolan's land uh, at this time, with the exception of the access uh, for her business. No, I mean after after uh, uh, she complied with the condition for the uh, for the permit, would the public have had access to the greenway? Yes, Your Honor. Well, that's that's one thing she couldn't she could do now and couldn't do afterwards, which is keep other people out. That is absolutely correct. Which is pretty important. Yes, Your Honor, it is. <laughs> Did the uh, city uh, require an easement or the fee to this area? Your Honor, the, the city in its actual findings required the dedication of the fee. The city has represented in its brief that what it was really going to ask for was merely an easement. Uh, that is not contained in their explicit findings. And as we noted in our reply brief, that uh, even if they were to only require an easement, there would still be an undue burden upon her because, as was noted by Justice Scalia, uh, she would still have the burden of having the public, the uninvited public, pass right, to and but fro. But you say the record, as it comes to us, shows the requirement of dedication of the fee title to this property. Yes, Your Honor, that's correct. The city's now, findings require right. dedication. Did the city also require Mrs. Dolan to construct the bike path at her expense? Your Honor, the city's findings ex at uh, the petition for cert at appendix uh, uh, G at, at page G28 specifically require the construction. However, the, the city has noted and has in fact submitted additional materials to this court that would show when Mrs. Dolan made her first application, and this is an appeal is brought from a second application, that the city had, in fact, decided not to require her to construct the pathway. Uh, however, when the findings came out uh, uh, with regard to the second application, uh, the findings had it back in there again. So, as the record is before this court today, uh, there was a requirement to construct the bike path. Well, do you um, um, rest your case on the difference between whether there, an easement had been given or whether she had to convey the... Didn't, Nolan involved an easement, as I recall rather than, than outright conveyance, didn't it? That is correct, Your Honor. Nolan uh, was merely the conveyance of an easement, and uh, we do not rest our case on the distinction between dedication of fee and easement. And an easement is a, is, is a right in property, isn't it? It's a conveyance of property. Yes, Your Honor, it is. Well recognized at law. Would the case be the same if it had been a license rather than an easement? Your Honor, I believe that if the, uh, the requirement had been uh, that that license mandated uh, the continuous passage of the public, it would have been uh, just as burdensome uh, an imposition upon uh, Mrs. Dolan uh, as was the, uh, the beach easement uh, was on Mr. and Mrs. Uh, in other words, your answer is yes. Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> I, in fact, thought that a license to, to use land is the definition of an easement. Uh, I'm, I'm not, can you create a license to use land that is not an easement? 
Okay. I believe that uh, Justice Stevens says the answer to that question is yes, and I would defer to his judgment. <laughs> At least it was in my first year property course, which is some years ago. If I could turn again, once again, to the issue of proportionality, I think that one of the important points uh, to be noted in this case is that if there had been a, a clear understanding on the part of the, of the Oregon Supreme Court and the city of Tigard that there was a requirement for proportionality embedded within this uh, court's 1987 decision in Nolan versus California Coastal Commission, that the outcome of the case might have been significantly different. This court within Nolan used words like specific connection, precise fit was used in the uh, dissent, uh, essential nexus, and the Oregon Supreme Court construed those to mean that there really only needed to be some sort of rational relationship uh, between the dedications and the adverse impacts. And therefore, hypothetical impacts, and, and I would stress that, uh, that the, uh, the impacts that were found by the city in this case were really very, very speculative. Uh, that that was sufficient to satisfy the city of Tigard and, in fact, satisfy the majority of the Oregon Supreme Court. I don't believe that, that proportionality, as it's been characterized uh, by the city in its brief, is indeed a revolutionary concept. Uh, in fact, uh, the emerging weight of authority across the United States and the various states uh, recognizes that a, a proportionality test uh, is, in fact, the one that should be used uh, in looking at the relationship between dedications. Assuming that there's some degree of proportionality, do you insist on you know, actual empirical demonstration of adverse effects? Uh... No, Your Honor, we do not. Uh, that I believe that would be unreasonable, and the emerging weight of authority among the states uh, is adopting a similar uh, position there. Uh, as you know, and as is well laid out in the Washington Legal Foundation's uh, amicus brief to this court, uh, they discussed the old Illinois test, which was specifically and uniquely attributable. And in fact, the weight of authority has moved away from that and is requiring some sort of rough proportionality based on actual impacts uh, with some sort of temporarily present, uh, contemporaneous uh, relationship uh, that's substantially and demonstrably clear. And I believe that that test, far being from revolutionary, uh, is the one that uh, is coming out. Uh, it's in the, uh, the so-called New Jersey test that was established in Longwood in 1968. Uh, it's in the Wisconsin test that was established How would you in articulate such a test in, in simple terms? What would you say the test is that you think this court has or should impose? Justice O'Connor, uh, it's difficult to articulate the test in simple uh, terms, uh, mostly because the, uh, the courts across the country, uh, the state courts, have not chosen to use simple terms. How do you expect us to? <laughs> but, uh, I, I would submit that to find proportionality that there are about three things that need to be done. First of all, there needs to be some sort of actual specific quantification of impacts and of public needs. Uh, much as was described in the city of Tigard's uh, record and, and how their consultant thought that they ought to approach stormwater runoff. After that quantification is done, I believe that there, there has to be some sort of proportional relationship that establishes the contribution of an individual development project uh, to the overall need. And finally, where a dedication of real property is required, I think that needs to be quantified and compared against that, uh, that fraction of well, that relationship. Specifically in this case, what should the city of Tigard have done that it didn't do in order to justify the demands it made on your client for, for a property? 
Mr. Chief Justice, uh, in the, uh, the first instance, what the city should have done is they should have quantified the actual stormwater runoffs that had, uh, were going to occur from the 17,600-square-foot building. That they never did. There is quantification of the overall increase in impervious surface, the overall demand citywide uh, when it goes to build-out, but no specific assessment of what this project would do. I raise a question that troubles me about... Uh this, really the whole case. The, the requirement of quantification seems to me it would be awfully difficult to meet in cases in which a municipality might perceive a danger that it really couldn't evaluate. It feels it doesn't want to take a risk. Say out in California you're worried about earthquakes. You don't know when it's going to happen or how serious it'll be, but you know there's a possibility. How do you quantify against a reasonable risk that you just aren't quite sure what'll happen, but you just don't want to take any chances? Justice Stevens, in that uh, instance, I believe that what would occur would not be a dedication of real property as some sort of permit condition, but in fact would be a regulatory restriction upon development, as regularly happens within 100-year floodplains, geologic hazard uh, areas. And uh, based on this Court's Lucas decision... You've acknowledged they could deny the permit outright if they're concerned and sort of a, they just think there's a danger there, but they're not sure they're able to quantify it. I think you've acknowledged they could deny the permit outright. Yes, Your Honor, we have. But, but you say they can't say, well, if you want to go ahead and build, because we're unsure about what's happened, we're going to insist that you make these perhaps exaggerated uh, uh, precautions. You say they can't do that. Your Honor, if the exaggerated precautions involve the dedication of an interest in real property... I believe that it is incumbent on the government, uh, in order to fulfill this court's uh, uh, requirements laid down uh, in 1960 in Armstrong, that it do more than merely speculate or hypothesize. I think they need to look at the, the real impacts and uh, come up with a quantification. Otherwise, the alternative is to uh, prohibit it outright. And then we have a, uh, a uh, Lucas versus the South Carolina Coastal Council question that arises uh, as to whether it is, a, in fact, a common law nuisance. Mr. Smith, I, I assume you don't concede that uh, a proportionality requirement is necessarily in addition to a rational basis requirement. I mean, I, I assume that, uh, that, that you, you would acknowledge the possibility that something does not have a rational basis if, if it is wildly disproportionate. Your Honor, we, would, uh, we believe that, uh, that the rational basis uh, or rational relationship uh, uh, test, if we should call it that, uh, as it was applied by the Oregon Supreme Court and was applied by the, the city of Tigard, is in fact no test at all. Uh, and that in fact proportionality is uh, essentially the antithesis to that test. I believe rational, rational basis uh, is much more akin to uh, the sort of rational basis review that uh, goes on in uh, due process and equal protection uh, context and that uh, in fact uh, is willing to rely upon uh, uh, even the most remote and hypothetical of state interests. And in 1971, the Supreme Court decided that you couldn't make arbitrary distinctions between men and women because that violated the rational basis test. Yes, Your Honor. It was no test at all. It seemed to be a pretty significant test in the case of Reed v. Reed. I would agree, Your Honor, and I, I would believe that uh, within the, the context of the uh, review of legislation, that uh, the rational basis review, as it's been applied by this court, uh, in fact, is, uh, uh, works quite well uh, within the equal protection and uh, uh, due process context. Uh, however, I believe, as this court uh, observed uh, in Nolan, that uh, when one is uh, involved with the dedication of uh, interest in property, that uh, something more than the uh, rational basis review 
necessarily needs to be applied. And how do you formulate that? I think it was what Justice O'Connor was asking you earlier. How do you formulate the something more? Justice Ginsburg, that uh, I believe that uh, as this court set forth in Nolan, that uh, it said that uh, what was required was a substantial advancement of legitimate state interests, uh, that uh, that substantial advancement test is in fact a given context and, uh, and given substance by virtue of a requirement for proportionality. That's kind of a sub-middle tier because the stock formula at equal protection due process is substantial relationship to an important government interest. This is one notch down, a legitimate government interest is not quite as heavyweight as an important government interest, is it? Um, yes, Your Honor, that's correct. Mr. Smith, is there any difference, do you think, in the justification the city can offer for the blood control problem and the justification for the bike path insofar as Mrs. Dolan's property is concerned? Yes, Your Honor. Um, with regard to flood control, the, uh, the city did, and is in the record before this court, an extensive study that documented uh, what would be the stormwater runoff uh, when all of the vacant land in the city had, had uh, been built up and had the maximum amount of impervious surface. Uh, with regard to transportation, uh, but that's all they did. Okay. With regard to transportation, uh, the city relied upon uh, its parent county uh, traffic impact ordinance, and that traffic impact ordinance quantifies not only the overall uh, needs of the community, but uh, quantified the specific impacts uh, that would be generated uh, out of this, uh, this uh, larger site with uh, the increased number of parking spaces and trips per day. Is Tiger in Multnomah County... No, Mr. Chief Justice, Tigard is in Washington County, uh, which is uh, right next to Multnomah County. Mr. Smith, I don't want to be picky. I think I'm going to sound that way, though. I, don't, I still do not grasp your, your, uh, your substantial uh, relationship or in, as a basis for your proportionality test. Are you saying, in effect, that you basically make a fraction, let's say, on the, the runoff problem, do you make a fraction of the amount of runoff that's going to be created by this change in use of the property, uh, with, with, with that created by the change of the use of the property as your numerator and all the other unnatural runoff that is going to hit this creek as your denominator to start with, and then you, in effect, say that fraction governs uh, the, the portion of the cost of improving the creek that can be borne by this landowner? Yes, Your Honor. And in fact, with regard to the traffic impact fee that was assessed on uh, uh, Mrs. Dolan, the uh, 14000 and some odd dollars, that's exactly what the city did. How do you go, how do you, how do you determine what your denominator is? Do you go back to the point where, before the land was settled, and you figure all of the runoff that is now taking place that wouldn't have taken place if this were just grassland or woodland or whatever it would have been? Or do you, do you start with some baseline, uh, the year 1990, and you measure incremental runoff from that point on, how, how in practice does it work? In the city of Tigard, Your Honor, the, uh, the snapshot uh, was taken in 1983 when the city's comprehensive plan was adopted. And that snapshot uh, evaluated the uh, amount of uh, impervious surface uh, that was within the Fano Creek watershed at that time. And 
it then looked at the allowable zoning uh, that uh, was provided for within the Fano Creek Basin and looked at how much impervious surface could increase after that until the basin got to build out. So it would be the amount of legitimate increase that could be projected from 83 as the denominator and the portion of that attributable to this change in use as the numerator. Yes, Your Honor, that is correct. Mr. Chief Justice, uh, with the permission of the court, uh, I, I assume the time you take the snapshot ought to depend on the time when the restriction for which this is the exaction was imposed. That is the time the zoning requirement, uh, which this exaction is, is meant to uh, justify a waiver from, was imposed. That's when you take the snapshot, I assume. Uh, yes, Justice Scalia, and that was 1983 in this case. Very well. Thank Mr. you, sir. Smith. Uh, Mr. Ramis, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In this case, the City of Tigard avoided denying the application and instead granted conditional, the conditional approval based upon mitigation for a project which the record shows would add hundreds of additional automobile trips to already congested streets in the city and which would place a building of several thousand square feet directly in the path of, ex of expected flooding. I would the property owner had to pay some money for the increased congestion. Wasn't there a, an assessment of the $14,000 that was mentioned? Yes, there was a payment made. in addition to that. Made for, it is, Your Honor. The uh, traffic impact fee, however, is not a complete offset for the impacts of this project. That issue uh, appears for the first time in the briefs at this level of review, and so the, the ordinance was not in the record. We have lodged it with the court. There are three points on the face of that ordinance that demonstrate that it is not a complete set-off. First, the adoption of the ordinance, uh, Ordinance 379, Section 2, says specifically it is not intended as a complete set-off. It's intended only as a partial solution to be used along with other mechanisms in a multifaceted way to pay for transportation improvements. In addition, the supporting documentation adoption at the same time has a calculation which shows only 21% of the costs expected for improving uh, streets and roads based upon impact is covered. Two lots back from this property, two lots further away from the floodplain, who increased uh, business to the same extent by, by an expansion of the building and who paid $14,000 uh, similarly, but didn't have any floodplain land to contribute to a bike, to a bike path. What, what, what would that property owner would also be expected to make a contribution or to demonstrate uh, in the language of our comprehensive plan that there are adequate public facilities and services available. Every property owner in the city, not just those along the floodplain, not just those along the bike path, must satisfy the standards of 7.1.2. And, and this property, there's something peculiar about this property. By being next to the floodplain, adequate services are not available so that you have to contribute a bike, plan, uh, bike path. It's but not further away. What, what, what would be done to a property further away? Another property might uh, reconstruct the sidewalk. Uh, another property might uh, contribute to the synchronization of streetlights in order to provide more capacity in the streets. The problem the city was facing in this case was not bringing people to the property on bikes. The problem was that this expansion, major expansion, over uh, close to double the size, would add hundreds of additional car trips to, to streets that were already so congested that fire vehicles... The solution to that was a bike path. The solution was to offset those car trips by a, an alternative system of transportation. People were going to go to the hardware store on their bike. 
No, Your Honor, that's not the basis of our decision. And that isn't even contended by the city, is it? So there's no relationship between the increased traffic volume and the bike path. Your Honor, the relationship is that this project is a retail project that puts additional cars on the road. The bike path is a mitigation device that takes trips off the road. They don't have to be the same people. You see, people who would otherwise be driving their cars for recreation will instead ride bicycles for recreation. Is, is that the no, Your Honor. Is that the notion? No, Your Honor. The, the concept is that the city is trying to encourage people to go to other places to do their shopping uh, by means of bicycle rather than car. If they can achieve that, then you will free up spaces on the streets for those people who are coming in the car to this business. This is not a radical notion or a particularly innovative notion. It is an idea that Congress has legislated. Uh, dollars that there are a lot of bike paths around Washington, and I've never seen people carrying shopping bags on their bikes. I, 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 you know, it, the record... City planners, I guess, they... Mr. Yes. Adams, are you, uh, are you judging the, the obligation of the littoral property owners uh, and the non-littoral owners by contradictory standards? Because you're saying that, <clears throat> excuse me, in answer to an earlier question, that the, uh, the owner of property two blocks away from the creek uh, would be judged by, by asking uh, whether the, the public facilities that would be burdened by the, by the building uh, were already adequate, uh, whereas you have made, as I understand it, a definitive determination with respect to the littoral property owners that they're not adequate. You're saying we've got to have a bike path because there's too much traffic, We've got to improve the, the uh, or, or set aside more land for creek overflow because uh, there's going to be a quicker runoff. Uh, it seems to me that you've made a kind of a conclusive determination with respect to, to the petitioner here, but you haven't made any determination uh, on, on your theory with respect to the non-littoral owners. There are two features of the city's code which I'd like to uh, describe, which I believe address, address your question. First, every property owner in the city is required to address the standard of providing adequate facilities and services, and that standard is uh, described at 827 uh, in the appendix. And uh, to paraphrase it... Well, but is, correct me if I'm wrong. As I understand it, the petitioner here would not have been allowed uh, by the city to come in and say uh, there's, there's plenty of room for the creek to flow uh, and there's, there's uh, plenty of um, uh, 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 capacity in, this, in the streets and, and sidewalks uh, you've already determined that the answer to, in, in each case, is that there is not sufficient. That's not the case, Your Honor. Okay. And that's the second point I wanted to make about the operation of the code. This code has several openings for property owners to come in and ask for adjustments. And the key one is uh, the variance procedure, which says specifically, you may have a variance if you can demonstrate there's no adverse effect on drainage or uh, transportation. Does, does the property owner two blocks away have to ask for a variance? Uh, well, Your Honor, if they cannot prove that there are adequate public facilities and services, they would be conditioned to provide them, and then they would have to ask for a variance. Okay, but in this case, as I understand it, the proof, so-called, has already been made in the way for the littoral property owner, the petitioner here, to alleviate the burden, uh, is to ask for a variance. Those, those at least are procedurally different mechanisms, aren't they? Yeah. Go ahead. Your Honor, the, the, uh, the upstream property owner the uphill property owner would also have, have to ask for a variance in the event that uh, the staff uh, sought to impose, um, for example, a bus pullout to address traffic problems. But they would have to... Su su supposing that 
uh, the upstream property or the uphill property, the one out of the floodplain or literal, but uh, he wants he wants to uh, enlarge his business the same way that uh, Ms. Dolan did. Would the city demand of him something in in the way of, of an easement, of, of something corresponding to the floodplain easement, which they asked of Mrs. Dolan? Yes, Your Honor. What 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 something is it? That is uh, a, sto- a water storage facility at page four. Uh, of our brief in footnote four, uh, it describes that you'd have to do a study of the drainage. And as a result of that study of the drainage, you would be required uh, to build a storage facility for the runoff. So the way the system works is that those who are next to the creek uh, handle the problem by dedication, and then the city comes in and spends the money to build the storage capacity. The balance is those that are upstream do not suffer a physical invasion, but in that case, they have to build on their own land the storage facility with their own money. Suppose, That's Mrs. The balance. Suppose Mrs. Dolan said that she was willing to build a storage facility. Then she would not have to dedicate the land uh, was she for the Greenway. Was she, did she have that option? She did have that option and did not choose to seek it. If you uh, would look in the record, Your Honor, at page E4 of our appendix, uh, you have the... Uh, a copy of the Statement of Justification for Variance filed by the attorney, the then attorney for uh, the Dolans, uh, not my friend Mr. Smith, another attorney. And there you can see that they made no serious effort at all to try to say either that they were going to provide storage facilities or that there wasn't an impact from this project. They simply didn't take advantage of the system. They could have. They could have come in with a design that showed a, a large catch basin under their parking lot. Of course, in all events, it seems to me that it's unnecessary for the drainage uh, that the uh, property owner lose the right to exclude uh, uh, the public from, from access to it. Uh, I see no relation between those two. Uh, Your Honor, that's not the uh, purpose of the regulation. Uh, as can be seen by the fact that if you don't create a drainage impact, you would not have to dedicate. Mr. Remis, could, could I could I come back to your footnote four on uh, footnote six on page four? I don't see that that says what you've described. What that says is that natural drainage ways must be maintained unless submitted studies show that alternative drainage solutions can solve on-site drainage problems. That it seems to me that regulation is meant to cover the situation where someone is, is constructing uh, 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 an improvement in such a way that it blocks runoff, which would normally occur. Not that it, that it makes land more impervious. Of you're, course, you're, I mean, all communities require you to put, put some sort of a catch basin or something when you're, you've interrupted the natural drainage flow. But if somebody makes an improvement that does not interrupt the natural drainage flow, I don't see any, any, any requirement that either one of these regulations imposes on it. Your Honor, there are two steps in this process. The first is triggered by the requirement that as a precondition to development, you do a site development study that would analyze the impact of the drainage. Step two Fine. is uh, at page B63 of our appendix, uh, and that is the subsection D of section 181661. Uh, D as in dog. Uh, at B63. And here... If your study shows that... Uh, Excuse me, I can't find what uh, you're talking about. Is that something in the red brief? Yes, in the red brief, Your Honor. Um, in the back, there's an appendix. Yes. And uh, at page B, as in B boy. As in boy. Boy, 63. B63. Thank you. Yes. Uh, there is a code provision, D, effect on downstream drainage. Uh, 
And what this provision says is if, if you are uh, going to create additional runoff that will overload the existing drainage facility, then among your options is to provide for storage of additional runoff. Sure, that's I think what that means is if the pipe that's going into the municipal uh, conduit that goes down to this stream would be overloaded so that there's not, not enough capacity in that pipe to carry it off, you have to store it and then let it out at another time. But that has nothing to do with... So long as you can get it into the municipal uh, uh, conduit, you're allowed to do it. I don't read this as having anything to do with the capacity of the floodplain. The reason that, that it wouldn't work for an applicant to come in and say, I can get a pipe to the municipal system, is that you wouldn't be able to comply with, with policy 7.1.2, which says you must provide adequate public facilities. If there's not capacity that's sufficient in that public drainage system when you get the pipe to it, then you've overloaded it. And if you've overloaded it, you've caused a harm and you are required to provide additional capacity. But if you haven't overloaded it, then there's no such problem or requirement, right? That's exactly right. And that's a possibility. Yes. But it isn't a possibility for Mrs. Dolan. It is, Your Honor, because under the... uh, the uh, policy at page four, Mrs. Dolan was required to come in with a drainage analysis. She didn't do that. If she had provided a drainage analysis that said, we're going to build a large catch basin under our parking lot, and it will meter the water out slowly at the same rate that it would have gone out if there was no building, then there would have been no exaction. Let me ask you this. What about the bike path? Did she have an option there? Yes. The findings discuss the fact, actually discuss one of the other options. One of the options would have been uh, to handle the uh, traffic impact by reconstructing the sidewalk in front. Uh, There's a discussion saying that if she reconstructed the sidewalk and the street, uh, that that would be uh, a possible option. Yes. Now, how about other property owners that are not adjacent to the creek? Are they required to build a bike path? No, they're required to make other contributions to the transportation system. But never a bike path? Not unless the bike path goes by the property. They might contribute by building a sidewalk. And, of course, we see the bike path and the sidewalk system as one integrated system. And so they're Is it your representation is that Mrs. Dolan had all of the options of an uphill property owner? Yes. She, there, are th- there are three different variance procedures, all of which she could have taken advantage of. The Supreme Court of Oregon didn't rely on those in the majority opinion, did it? Uh, on the variance procedures, Your Honor? Yes. Uh, I don't believe that the opinion mentions them. Uh, Your Honor, you mentioned them in your argument to the Oregon Supreme Court? Uh, the, the argument there was focused on the test, and, and so that issue did not arise. Uh, Your Honor, the three procedures that are available are, first, uh, at the time of application, you can come into the process and say there's been a change or a mistake in the process or there are special attributes to my property. And that would justify a change in the, in the regulations as they're applied. The second provision allows that uh, uh, the city engineer can adjust the regulations based upon a showing that uh, there are sound engineering principles allowing it. That would be the case, for example, of the catch basin as an alternative to storage capacity in the creek. And then finally, there's the formal variance process. So, and the variance process would allow a variance if you were able to show that there's no adverse effect. So all three of these processes are available to adjust the conditions. Is it your, is it your representation to this court, Mr. Ramis, that, that, that uh, 
Mrs. Dolan could have avoided both the bike path dedication and the floodplain uh, dedication. She could have avoided both by simply agreeing to do what some uphill owners would do. Yes, Your Honor. She could have come in with alternative solutions to the traffic impact she was creating and to the runoff impact. Unfortunately, the design that they have alternative, do that. An alternative to the bike path. Something yes. that would solve the traffic problem better than the bike path would? Or as adequately. In other words... That's zero, as far as I can tell. So what, what well, would she come into? Well, Your Honor, Honor the, uh, the record would show that bike paths are effective as mitigation because they draw people off of the highways. But you said she could have an alternative by providing a sidewalk. Now, that wouldn't provide bike space at all. That's for people to walk. Well, the bike path is actually a bike and pedestrian path. It's designed for non-automobile transportation, both for pedestrians and for people on bicycles. If, if, if she had an alternative that was uh, equally mitigating to the bike path, would your city have the right to insist on the bike path because it preferred it? I believe the question would be, I believe the answer is no, Your Honor. If she were, was able to show that she adequate, adequately uh, handled the traffic impact, then we could not impose the bike requirement if she has other mechanisms. Who is the decision maker? You, you said that she could propose. She doesn't like the bike pass. She doesn't like your plan. She can come up with an alternative. I suppose you say, we, for a variety of reasons, like the bike pass better. Who decides and what review is there of that right. decision? The decision is made by, in the first instance, the Planning Commission and then on appeal to the City Council. Under uh, the law in Oregon, this is an adjudicatory process with all the safeguards of an impartial decision maker, a decision on the record, a decision under written criteria. That decision is then subject to review by the Land Use Board of Appeals and a property owner such as this one can introduce evidence at that trial level about constitutional violations uh, and procedural violations. So there was Where a second... Does in the record that, 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 that she can come forward with alternative solutions which must be accepted by the city? Is That's that, can you give us some citations to the, to the uh, yes, regulations or whatever? Yes, Your Honor. Um, the uh, adjustment criteria are uh, first the variance criteria at 18.134.050 which appears in this record in, in my brief um, at uh, page B49. Second, the city engineer's ability to change the criteria based on alternative engineering solutions. Not ability, obligation, if, if, if she comes forward to, with it. Yes, if she comes forward, she has a right to obtain a change in the, the application of the criteria. That is at B51 of the appendix, section 18164020. And finally, the consideration of change or mistake or positive attributes of the property which could justify change is at B7 of the appendix. All of these processes are available, and all of them, of course, would be decided in an adjudicatory procedure, subject to review um, on, on a substantial evidence standard uh, except in the case of allegations of constitutional violations. Thank you, Mr. Rammons. Mr. Mr. Needler, we'll hear from you. Uh, 
Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Um, I would like to address first uh, just one factual point about the, or, or I, I guess policy point about the floodplain. The, uh, the legitimacy of, of the floodplain approach taken by the city here has been addressed thus far only in terms of the adverse impacts that would be caused by increasing the impervious surface on the, on the uh, parking lot and expanding the building. And uh, petitioners suggest that the uh, uh, condition imposed on Mrs. Dolan should be proportional to that adverse impact. That is one measure, and it's true the city's floodplain uh, excuse me, drainage plan does identify that uh, measure as one, one method of allocating the cost. But there's another important consideration, and that's the benefit to Mrs. Dolan. She is right along the floodplain, and uh, the city's drainage plan estimates that absent some improvements in the drainage channel, because of development all along the floodplain, the flood level will rise two to five feet, uh, with a 40% increase in the amount of water during the 100-year floodplain, or flood, uh, typical flood. And so the improvement of the channel uh, confers considerable benefits on the property owners immediately adjacent to the creek. And in, in designing what sorts of conditions should be imposed... What, what, what benefits is <laughs> that? that uh, it will prevent the... Will prevent the, uh, by, by wide, the, the plan is to widen the channel and to uh, reinforce the slopes so that the channel will have a greater carrying capacity in large floods. With a greater carrying capacity, the water will be carried past her property. Otherwise, it would, it would rise and uh, go on to her property. Is, is there something in the record that indicates that had the channel not been widened in some relatively uh, expectable flood, her property would have been hurt? Uh, yes, this is addressed on page 6 of the, of the respondent's brief. The channel has not yet been built, but this is the projection of, of what would be necessary. Does it, does it benefit only... Uh, riparian property owners who want to expand their facilities? No, but... It, but with that sort of a haphazard way of, uh, of assessing a benefit, right? When you want to expand your facilities, uh, since we're, we're helping you on the floodplain, uh, we're, going to char- we're, we're going to make you dedicate. Only well, if you want to expand... Well, what, one of the important aspects of floodplain, regula- floodplain regulation came in about 20 years ago, and, and realistically, floodplain regulation often has to take as something of a given what's already there, but, but to attach conditions on expanding what is already the there. The nexus that's, that, that, that our opinions require is, is, is not a nexus to whether you're benefited or not. It's a nexus to the, the permit to which this, uh, this exaction is attached. Right, I, I, I don't see any nexus to the permit. Right, I, and the fact that you're benefited is very interesting, but it seems to me irrelevant to the nexus requirement. Right, I, I, and, and that's the next point I wanted to get to. I just wanted to make the point that it is appropriate in, for a municipality in deciding what conditions to attach to take into account the unique characteristics of the land. Well, Mr. Needler, a moment ago, in response to my question about whether there was a showing in the record that Mrs. Dolan's property would be heard in the foreseeable future, you referred me to page 6. I'm sorry, I misspoke. It's page 8. I'm, I'm sorry, page 8 of the, of the red brief. Well, page 7 has a finding of, in the drainage plan that uh, there would be flooding in several areas along Fan Oak, including areas near petitioner's property. Now, is, does page 8 have something better than that? Uh, immediately immediately adjacent, adjacent to the indentation on page 8 says upstream of Hall Boulevard, which is the stretch where her property is located, the flood stage reductions that would result from widening the channel will reduce the flood range from uh, 2 to 5 feet over the next years. Um, I, I would like to address the, the, the test, though. Uh, as, as we understand this court's decision in Nolan, the test is really one whether the permit condition serves the same purpose as an outright denial. It's taken as a given in this case 
by virtue of petitioner's concession that the permit could have been denied outright. So what, what this court said in Nolan is that it agreed with the state's contention there that if the permit condition serves the same purpose as an outright denial would have done, that, that the condition can be imposed. That's all the court required. Not all, just, just the same. Do you really think that's, that, that Nolan said, for example, suppose a city's worried about urban congestion and pollution and someone who has a factory wants to, wants to expand it infinitesimally, uh, just a very little bit. Can the state require, as a condition of that permit, a million-dollar contribution to the city, which would go to, to pollution reduction? No, uh, as, as, we, the same as we suggested in our brief, if the... If uh, and, and, in fact, respondent seems to agree with us at, at page 19 of our reply brief with our formulation, which is if, if the landowner can show that the condition being imposed is wholly out of relation to the, to the adverse impact. There is a proportionality uh, uh, element. But, but, but not, we think not in its own right, but it goes to a measure, it, it goes to determining whether this is ultimately a land use regulation as opposed to serving some other purpose. In Nolan, the court articulated the question as whether the condition serves the same purpose. And the court there concluded the condition did not, because it did not serve the same purpose, the court said it converted what was a legitimate land use regulation into something else. And we think that the same principle might well apply by virtue of gross disproportionality or no relation, it would convert land use regulation to something that's not. It's really a question of sub subterfuge or something in the nature of pretext is what the city is trying to do, something other than land use regulation. But where that's not present, conditions serving the same purpose as a permit denial are, are not something that are inherently suspect, but in fact are to be encouraged. They, they uh, discourage, otherwise a city could be encouraged to deny permits all the time and have a rigid land use regulation scheme. But permit conditions that serve the same purpose as the ultimate denial might uh, afford flexibility to both sides. The city has ways in which to promote its environmental, its flood control, its traffic problems, and the landowner can dedicate uh, an easement and get on with uh, the work on his or her own property. So there's no proportionality requirement, but, but proportionality is a subject of evidence to indicate whether, in fact, the required relationship, i.e. serving the same purpose, uh, is present or not. That, that's correct. So it's an outer limit or, 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 a, or a touchstone for determining whether the same purpose should be served. And this is, this is not a, a principle unique to this Court's takings jurisprudence. It applies... It seems to kind of ignore the word substantial in the test articulated in Nolan. But in, in our view, the, the word substantial, substantially advancing a governmental purpose to the extent it means uh, something other than a reasonable relationship, we think uh, goes to the question of whether uh, the overall regulatory scheme furthers a governmental interest. And if the permit denial would, would further, would substantially further... But I guess that's a way one could read. Well, no, Nolan does, does say, if we take as a given that the permit denial would substantially further the governmental interest, and if the permit condition serves the same purpose, it's lesser included and therefore would substantially further the same purpose. We think that that, that, that would, that that would uh, ordinarily follow um, uh, as, a, as a matter of course. The and this burden, I assume, would be on your theory would be on the landowner to show the disproportionality. Correct. Correct. Uh, and this question of, of relevance or germaneness is a, is a principle this court has applied in a, in a, in a number of situations where, where conditions are attached to expenditure of governmental funds or other governmental programs. And are, are these tests relevant to an ultimate determination of whether what the city is doing is simply a pretext uh, for furthering its own goals that do not proportionally relate to the property? Right. For, uh, uh, we don't think it's necessary 
uh, to inquire into the actual subjective motivation, but it's in the nature of a pretext inquiry. As the court said, again, in, in Nolan, uh, if, if it serves a different purpose, it converts the land use regulation to something else, and that's where we think uh, uh, proportionality uh, does enter into it. Look, can I come back to who the burden is on you? You mean that a municipality all has to do is say, you know, there may be a thimbleful of water, we're not going to do any studies, and therefore we want 10% of your land uh, for, for flood control. And... and the burden is shifted uh, to Mrs. Dolan no, no, to, to, I, I to do a study to show that that is disproportionate? The, city, the city, burden be on her? The city, the city can't just assert that with, without foundation, uh, uh, I, I think. But that's not at all what happened here. It's typical for Congress, for agencies, for city council. without foundation. Well, why, but, why isn't the burden on the city to the, demonstrate some rough proportionality? What, what, the, what the city did was to adopt a code of general applicability, which... which uh, states, for example, that, that increasing impervious surfaces will increase runoff and increase flooding, um, uh, as one example. And then the burden shifts to the landowner to say that this condition will not, will not uh, further the uh, same purpose. It just shows you're in the same general ballpark, flood control. But why doesn't the city have, have the, the burden of showing that it's roughly proportional? I, that's an awful burden to put on the, on the small individual property owner to conduct a massive study uh, to, to demonstrate that the city's wrong. All the city has to say is, well, flood control is flood control. One way to do it is to, is to not expand your property. Another way to do it is to give us 10% of your property for... Uh, the question is not principally one of quantification, but logical relatedness of the condition to the, uh, to the impact being addressed. Thank you, Mr. Needler. Uh, Mr. Smith, you have four minutes remaining. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Some of the contentions about the variances and so forth. Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, on, the, on the matter of a variance, I don't believe that it is a, appropriate for the city to establish a requirement for the dedication of real property and thrust upon the private property owner the unreasonable demand that in order to escape from having to surrender a fee title uh, or an easement to the government, it is necessary for them to go through a variance procedure in order to get out from under what would otherwise be an unconstitutional uh, taking of private property. What, what about the availability of conditions, uh, of, of, of alternatives that she could have invoked and that the city would have had to accept as a matter of right? Your Honor, I don't believe that there were such alternatives, and I don't believe that the record supports that contention. And uh, I have noted in Appendix G of the uh, petition for certiorari at page G12 and G14, two recitations that I think belie my distinguished colleague's representation that they do. Uh, this, and I, I quote here from pages G11 and G12, where the city in its findings said, it appears to be impractical to perform the proposed reconstruction of Main Street on a piecemeal fashion on a lot-by-lot -lot basis. Therefore, we do not propose that any reconstruction of Main Street be required as a condition of approval of this development proposal. Similarly, at page G14, the city says, requiring surface water quality facilities on small sites, which certainly one and two-thirds acres is, could result in numerous facilities that could become a maintenance burden on the city. Furthermore, the applicant does not propose any such facilities, and there are no natural depressions or other areas of this site that are particularly suitable for water quality features. I think that, that answers both questions as to whether that the, the city honestly believed 
that uh, Mrs. Dolan could have avoided the dedications uh, by uh, engaging in either improvements to Main Street or the establishment of an on-site water quality impoundment facility. Do you agree with your colleague that the Oregon Supreme Court didn't consider the availability of variances and they were not argued to the Oregon Supreme Court? That is correct, Mr. Chief Justice. I would, would make one more point about proportionality, and that is very essentially that unless there is some requirement for proportionality between actual impacts and dedications, that even the most strenuous of dedications could have been required. The city could have found that Mrs. Dolan's new store would have increased uh, traffic by one additional vehicle trip per day. In the absence of proportionality, the city could have required her to dedicate 75, 95% of her land for a widening of Main Street. No proportionality. We have our, our uh, rational relationship. The city gets it, and there's no fairness, there's no justice, and what this court said in Armstrong has no meaning at all. The other state uh, um, plans that you referred to in your main presentation, New Jersey and elsewhere, do they provide for some proportionality? Yes, Your Honor, they do. And in fact, there is at least uh, one state that I am told, the state of, uh, I believe it's Virginia, that even requires the old Illinois test and requires even a heightened degree of proportionality that puts an extreme burden on government. And it's noteworthy that, uh, that uh, both the New Jersey and Wisconsin tests were adopted in the 1960s, well before this court uh, uh, established its ruling in Nolan, and uh, they've worked quite well. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Thank you, Mr. Smith. The case is submitted.